Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hey friends, welcome to After Four, the podcast for InterVarsity alumni. I'm John Steele, and it's great to be together for another episode. So, it's Lent. Maybe as you listen, you're feeling a little unsure of how to participate. Maybe you're confused about what Lent is and want some information to help you better understand. Or maybe you understand the season, you've got a good idea of how to participate, but you've had a slow start and you need a boost. That's my situation. I was traveling all of last week, and as a result, I feel like I've sort of come tripping into this Lenten season. If you can identify with any of that, I think we can help. We have a great episode from last week about Lent. What is it? Where does it come from? What are common practices? And we also have a daily Lenten guide with helpful reflections that can be found on Substack. You can find the link for that in the show notes for this episode and for last week's episode too. Hopefully, some helpful tools for you as you engage with this year's Lenten season. Okay, on to this week's episode. Now this and next week's episodes were actually supposed to air back in November, but as you may remember, we had some technical difficulties. So I'm excited that we are finally airing them because we have some great stuff for you. Over the next couple weeks, we're talking to Alice Freiling about her life and about her latest book, Aging Faithfully. Alice is an InterVarsity alumna, retired staff, spiritual director, author. She's covered a lot of ground since graduating college in 1966, and she has some serious wisdom to share with us, more than we could fit even in these two episodes. Today's episode is going to be more of a get-to-know-the-author event. You see, Alice agreed to come on the podcast to chat about her book, but this Green Around the Gills interviewer was so intrigued by her story that I let us get a little off track. So, Today we meet Alice, which will be a joy in and of itself. We get to hear stories of the changing landscape of women in InterVarsity's ministry during the 60s and beyond, a little bit of marriage advice from someone who's been married for 50 years, and Alice's experiences with depression as a college student, as a woman in ministry, and as a wife and mother. And then next week, we'll just scratch the surface of her wonderful book, Aging Faithfully. For now, though, let's take some time to get to know Alice together. Enjoy. Hello, Alice. Hello, John. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. I'm excited to have you on. Could you tell us just a little bit about yourself as we get started, Alice? Well, I'm married to Bob Freiling, and we were involved on staff with InterVarsity for over 50 years. Bob just retired, and I'm sort of retired, but InterVarsity has been a huge and a very significant part of our life. I'm 77 years old. I won't go through all 77 years, but I will tell you that I grew up in a family that um, now I would describe as church going, but not religious. I was in high school when I really think I started my spiritual journey and I would never have used those terms. I didn't even know that was happening, but my sister told me that I should, told me that I should invite Jesus into my heart. So I did, but I didn't know (laughs) what that meant. I don't really remember ever reading the Bible very much, but that was when I was probably a sophomore or junior in high school. And that really launched me into my 
faith in ways that I couldn't have imagined. After graduation from high school, I went to Dickinson College in Pennsylvania and then transferred to the University of Maryland. And I majored in English education, very involved with InterVarsity at Maryland. And then after I graduated in 1966. I'm giving myself the honor of being the oldest guest you've probably ever had on your podcast. And that is an honor that we are happy to bestow upon you. We oftentimes get a lot of alumni who graduated, you know, in the last two to 10 years. And so it's really exciting to have somebody with more life perspective to be here with us. Well, I'll milk that honor for all of (laughs) As you Um, should. So I came on staff with InterVarsity then, and Bob and I have been there ever since. And as you said, you are an author. And I was looking up a little bit. I didn't realize, Alice, that you've written as many books as you have and on so many different topics. I would love to have you come back for about 12 more episodes because there's so (laughs) many things, so many things that I would love to hear from you about. And we'll get into some of those things, especially your new book, Aging Faithfully. But before we do that, I would love to hear just a little bit more about your college university experience and what that was like. So tell me a little bit about how you got involved with InterVarsity. I was looking for it when I went on campus. My sister had been involved in InterVarsity. And as a senior in high school, I was able to go to the Urbana Missionary Conference. I think I actually went because someone paid my way and my boyfriend was going. Not Bob, (laughs) a different boyfriend. (laughs) Well, what's not to like about this conference? (laughs) We've all been there, Alice. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I do remember about that Urbana was I always felt like Perhaps, not perhaps, I thought for sure, if I'm going to be a good Christian, I need to go on the mission field. And as I went through those days, I thought, I just don't know if I'm going to like this. There was one missionary who told me that they had a great program. You learned how to kill a live chicken. (laughs) I thought... I just thought, I don't know, God, this may be your idea, but it's not my idea. Um, And actually, as it turned out, one of the graces in my life has been the joy of having a mission field really through my books. I love that. Many of my books have been translated into other languages in countries that I could never go to. Maybe they kill live chickens in those countries. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe so. (laughs) So so all this to say, when I ended up in college, I was looking for InterVarsity. I think they spotted a live leader in me for some reason. I didn't know that. So I was quickly involved in leadership. I went to probably hundreds of Bible studies and dozens of conferences. And we had speaker meetings every week. So I I was really very much educated in my faith through those years in university. One funny thing that's come to mind as I've been doing my little walk down memory lane in anticipation of talking with you, the role of women was almost exactly opposite in those days in InterVarsity and certainly in our culture. But I remember in InterVarsity, well, first of all, we always wore skirts, even to conferences, and married women were not allowed to be on staff. You were subject to your husband. (laughs) And I only can remember one woman speaker in InterVarsity. So, you know, I kind of reflect back on that. And I think, how did the marginalization of women affect me? Later, when Bob and I were on staff and Bob was involved in the leadership of InterVarsity nationally, he was very involved in changing some of those perspectives. And then when I think about my own life, I can't overstate how grateful I am that Bob has been my cheerleader forever. I mean, even when I was on staff as a single person before we were married, but certainly since we've been married, he's supported me as I've gone through crazy opportunities to learn and to grow. I mean, the Enneagram and spiritual direction, those are all 
little edgy when I started out there. And Bob has been so supportive of me and supportive of my writing. So I have no regrets. And I love that I am a woman, but I look back and I think, wow, I probably wouldn't have said that when I was in college. When you were a young college student or a young staff, did you recognize that those realities were happening around you? Or is that something that as you've grown and as you're able to look back that you recognize? You know, you don't well, maybe we do more now, especially because of social media. But at that time, we didn't question cultural norms. So I wore my skirts to conferences and thought that's what I would do as a woman. <laughs> so I don't think that I did. But when I was in late high school and all the way through college and on staff, I struggled with what I now know was chronic depression. It was very invasive in my life, and that influenced me a lot. And a lot of self-doubt. I mean, when I came on staff, I wondered now why would these students want to meet with me? And I was on staff with a number of schools in the New England area, some of the sister colleges, and I felt very inferior. So I think I started out figuring I was a second-class citizen. It didn't faze me that society confirmed that. <laughs> I mean, it's a wonderful statement of grace that all of that happened, and I didn't really know it was happening. But there was also grace, I think, in my fledgling and then growing self-awareness. And I can remember as a staff member that, you know, I would speak not at big things, but at little things. <laughs> and I think, well, what's wrong with that? I do have something I want to say. And then, of course, when we were married, even now, the issue goes on about what the marriage relationship is supposed to be like. But I felt total freedom and grace. And my relationship with Bob has been so healing in my life. Alice, this is one of the topics that we typically dig into a little bit, and we've started here, but I'd be interested to know, as you were approaching graduation, were there other expectations that you had for what your life after graduation was going to look like? Well, probably the first thing was I wanted to get married. <laughs> that was clearly not an option right when I graduated. I majored in English and I thought for sure I would be teaching high school English. And then my university staff member suggested that I think about applying for university staff. And I thought, well, I can teach English when I'm old and gray, but I can't relate to college students then. And so the rest is history. I've never taught English. But that piece of my college education certainly shaped what I do. The English and the love of words and reading is very much a part of my life. So then I came on staff with InterVarsity, and I certainly did not expect to be depressed for so many years. I didn't have any help for that. Prozac wasn't invented. Depression wasn't a popular topic. So I was really alone in navigating that. I wasn't expecting that, and it was very much a part of my early years after graduation. I didn't meet Bob until we both came on staff in New England. We were both on a panel of single people at the Hudson House Conference Center in New York, and I think we were both on the two ends of the panel and kind of looking at each other, and I remember thinking, that's the man I'm going to marry. And that began the worst year of my life. <laughs> oh, no. I make decisions a little quicker than Bob does. And of course, I was depressed and thought who would want to marry me anyway. But, you know, I just look back and I think how good that was that God brought about something that I never thought would happen. And it was just right for me. I mean, I think I was prepared to be a single person for the rest of my life. And if that had happened, I would probably say, oh, this is really good, too. And don't misunderstand me, Bob and I disagree and we do a good job arguing about things. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just such a wonderful image to me, meeting the person that you were going to marry at a singles panel. And how long have you and Bob been married now? 50 years. 
I can only imagine the stories and the experiences that the two of you have had together in 50 years of marriage. One of the things I was actually thinking about this morning, aging is very much on my mind for a number of reasons, especially because I wrote a book, but also because I am aging. A lot of times people will say, well, you know, how can you prepare for aging or for that long a marriage? And I think as I look back, our marriage has probably lasted so long because of every day. I don't suggest to young people they come home from their honeymoon and start preparing for their 50th year. You just can't do that. But every day you can live faithfully. And for Bob and me, well, I particularly, I have a pretty loose lid and I just can't live with discomfort in our relationship. So I think maybe we don't prepare for this so much as we just live it out every day. My wife and I have been married for almost seven and a half years now. And it is just amazing the sort of the expectations that you have going into marriage. You do just anticipate that we're going to go on all of these adventures. We're going to experience challenges, but there's going to be these triumphant things that happen in the midst of these challenges. And you certainly do go on adventures. You do experience challenges and you experience triumph and failure in the midst of those challenges. But that doesn't seem like the normal everyday experience of marriage, that most of it is navigating what can oftentimes feel like the humdrum of life together. But as you navigate those everyday experiences, you get weeks, months, years down the road. And even though things might still in that moment feel the same, you look back on all of that time that you've spent and you say, wow, we have transformed together significantly. For for Caitlin and myself, we are so different together and individually, so different than we were seven and a half years ago. And I can only imagine what that ongoing transformation looks like 25, 50 years down the road and the way that just the everyday faithfulness transforms your relationship. As you're talking, I'm thinking we are dramatically transformed and yet we're very much the same people. Thank goodness. I mean, sometimes I get annoyed with myself in other areas of life where I think, why can't I get this together? This is the same thing I was learning when I was in college about myself or about life. And why can't I put this behind me? And then I think, well, if every challenge was new, that would be very disconcerting. If we didn't go through those struggles and disappointments with ourselves, we wouldn't change. I mean, we wouldn't grow without those struggles. And truth be told, life would be a little boring. I don't like boredom. (laughs) So at least it's interesting. We always have problems to solve. Yeah. Every good story you've ever read or every good movie you've ever watched, part of it's because the main character is finding out their own flaws and is being shaped and changed and is going on this grand adventure where there are challenges and there are exciting and happy things. There are really hard things, but that all of those are a part of self-discovery and being transformed over the course of your own life narrative. One more thing that you mentioned a couple of times that I'd be interested to hear about, just because it sounds like it was a very significant part of your life after college experience. We were talking about depression. I think about our alumni today are dealing with depression and anxiety more than ever. And so the idea of hearing from somebody who has spent time walking through depression, that feels like a very relevant thing for them to hear about. What was that experience like for you? It was certainly life altering at the time. And I think life shaping in the long run, as I mentioned, people weren't talking about depression then. And I have to say, as I think about the difference, perhaps for me when I was depressed and what it would have been like if I was depressed today, social media is just depressing. I mean, I am not on social media, which my publisher wishes I were. 
<laughs> I advertise the book. I'm very drawn to people. I have a magnetic attack attraction to people. And if I were on Facebook reading about everybody else's outside experiences and knowing my inside experiences, that would be depressing for me. And I did that enough when I was in high school and college. I was so filled with self-doubt. You know, in terms of the physiological reasons for depression, I know theoretically people have told me that my grandfather was very depressive. So maybe it's in my genes. I don't know. My parents were good parents, providing parents. Leave it to beaver parents. And that was probably the right age, too. <laughs> but I don't ever remember them saying, I love you. I remember one time when I was at Cedar Campus, so I must have been an adult on staff at that time, and I got a letter, which was probably the first letter I'd ever gotten from my father, and he said something in the letter, you know, I love you, Dad. And I just, I remember standing in the dining room there and thinking, I never heard him say that. I'm 100% sure if I had asked them, and I never could have or would have, they would have said, oh, yes, we love you. I mean, we give you everything on your Christmas list. We have dinner together every night. They couldn't provide the spiritual foundation. And when I was in my late 30s and early 40s, I started noticing there were some times when I didn't feel depressed. And I think that often happens with people with depression, but there were no antidepressants for me. I did have counseling. And by that time, we had two daughters. And I wish I had never been born. And that's sad. And then I started realizing, well, those feelings are quieter now. Well, a large part of it, besides the counseling, was how much Bob loved me. It took me eight years, because I remember it took eight years before I realized, wow, when he says he loves me, he really needs it. I thought, well, he might have bad taste, but he means it. And so his love started sort of seeping into the desert, I think, inside of me. And then when my girls loved me, I thought... These are people who love me. That's quite amazing. And now I look back and I think, oh, thank you, God, for my family and really for God's love. And since then, so that was, say, in my 40s. So it's really been the next 35 years or so. I have become more and more aware of God's deep love for me. And it's great. He loves me because he loves me. He doesn't love me because I'm always very lovable. <laughs> so I think maybe I've become a little more lovable thinking that he does love me. So my journey in depression and then out of depression has very much shaped my view of God and my relationship with God. It's amazing to me to hear that it has very much been the healing power of love. Love and time, it sounds like both together have been very important for your healing. But it's interesting to think that we live in an age and in a culture that talks so much about love cures all. And if we could just love one another sort of thing, which is true, loving one another is very important and obviously helps bring about healing, but that it was something much more than just, if you could just learn to love yourself, Alice, your life would be so much better. It wasn't this sort of humanistic, just take care of yourself, love yourself better, and your life will get better. If someone had advised me, and they probably did, to love yourself more and watch self-care, I would immediately think, okay, there's one other thing I don't do very well. But actually, what you just said is why I am so engaged with spiritual direction. I've been a spiritual director for 25 years now, and I'm sure this is why I was drawn into it, because it would have been so helpful to me as a younger person. So the spiritual director meets with the directee. I don't necessarily like these terms, but they're old fashioned and it takes it out of this just everybody love everybody category. So I meet with people 
once every month or once every six weeks. And it, it really is a listening relationship. When I meet with someone, my prayer and my desire is that I will be able to look with them at their life the same way or similarly to the way God sees them. And after I had been, I mean, I was real nervous, of course, <laughs> who am I to think I'm a spiritual director? So after I've been into it for a while, I said to Bob, I just can't figure this out because the people I'm meeting with are obviously being healed. And it's not because of my good advice, because spiritual directors try not to give a lot of advice. And then what I came to was that when we listen in love, we are loving that individual. And listening in love means keeping your mouth shut and validating and drawing the person out. And when we do that, we are loving that person and love heals. So it's almost palpable to me. And I hear this over and over again for people who are into spiritual direction. And that's why it's been such a lovely part of my life. I'm so thankful for it. Are there places where you being a spiritual director and seeing this happening in other people has reflected back on you in your own spiritual development? I would say almost every conversation I have, because what a spiritual director wants to do is draw out or help the person we're meeting with notice how God is engaging with their lives. And so I hear people describe their journey, not their conclusion. Well, I figured out if I do this, it's wonderful. Not that, but more. It's a long, long process. And when I hear, well, just the other day, I was talking with a woman who she's as melancholic as I am. And we have a lot of the same issues. And she was struggling with something that was very hard for her. And then I talked to her the next time and she'd engaged with scripture, not what she should believe, but what God was inviting her to believe. She talked to her husband. She engaged with the people where there was stress. And she was just in a different place. So that comes back to me. And it's like, oh, well, if God could do that for her, God can probably do that for me. Plus, as a spiritual director, you almost always have your own spiritual director and you have your own peer group. So I get a lot of interaction that way. I mean, I think about this when I was a campus staff and the conversations that I would have with students, the times that we would be talking through faith questions that they had, or just who am I, what am I doing? Where am I going? Kind of questions. And that to be able to be there to listen and to ask good questions so often was just a place for while I'm engaging with what they're saying and what they're thinking, like almost in the back of my mind, I'm sort of answering the question for myself as well and working through how would I respond to this question if somebody was asking me and that it also becomes a space for me to sort through a lot of these same faith and personal questions about who I am and where God is in the midst of my life. And it's a blessing to be the person sitting in that chair asking the questions because you get to work through them as well and find yourself kind of walking so much of that same path with the person that you're talking to. I think it was probably my university staff person at Maryland who used to meet with me over coffee in the student union. I mean, we didn't talk about spiritual direction then either. That wasn't a term that was familiar, but he probably was my first spiritual director, but I didn't know that. And that was very healing to meet with him. So much wisdom and life experience in those short 20 minutes with Alice so far. Hopefully you can see why it was difficult to just jump directly into her book. She's incredibly charming and a joy to chat with. I trust you're already finding a few helpful truths to walk away with. 
We'll come on back next week as we spend some time chatting about Alice's latest book, Aging Faithfully. What does it mean to choose life as we age? How do we find blessing in the midst of loss? How does our perspective on scripture change as we age? We're only going to scratch the surface, but you'll start to get a feel for the book, what Alice was hoping to accomplish in writing it, and how it might be a benefit to you or to others on the journey of aging. Thanks for subscribing wherever you enjoy listening to your podcasts and for following on socials. And don't forget to subscribe to our Lent Substack. There's still lots of time to engage and reflect as we journey through this Lenten season together. Have a great week. See you next time, alumni.